welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Ezekiel 39 and the message is titled closer than you think closer than you think so we spoke about uh, six points I'm going to go through them very quickly because I laid the foundation last Sunday so if you didn't get it and you're here for the first time and you haven't heard it definitely get it for free off the website so I'm not going to do them in order because the last three I need to use the laser pointer on the map for Uh, the first point was the dormant prophecy of war When we talk about how close this battle is, right? Everybody knows of the Battle of Armageddon. Unbelievers, unbelievers, you know, atheists, they know the Battle of Armageddon. But very few people know about this battle, which is closer. And you can see the the lining up of the belligerents as we speak. Last year, this past year, was an incredible amassing of these belligerents in harmony with each other. Uh, The second part was manuscript evidence, because some will come to me who are not believers or atheists, and they'll say, there's no way this could have been written that long ago. So I shared with you secular science, historians, archaeologists, paleographers, who all agree in about half a dozen manuscripts that say that these are ancient writings. I love when when the the non-saved world proves the existence of God. Uh, The third is the belligerence, which I'm going to get to. The fourth is is the Sunni-Shia connection, which is something Ezekiel would have no way of knowing because Islam didn't come for well over a thousand years after he uttered this prophecy, if we could put the map up. Uh, The other one, the other point to this is why would they attack Israel? Well, many reasons. Number one, they have natural resources. Uh, If you look at Israel, you look at where Africa is located, the the Near East, the Middle East, the Arabian Peninsula, I'm getting really good at geography through all this, is that you have a vantage point right here in Israel. Basically, the whole world surrounds you. You have Europe, you have Russia, and you're the focal point. So we're talking about trade routes. We're talking about ports. We're also talking about military strategy. Okay. The next point was how come the West or the United States is seemingly uninvolved? There's a protestation from the West, uh, arguably the United States, Western Europe, and the Arabian Peninsula asking why there's this invasion in Israel, but they don't seem to be doing much about it. Kind of reminds me of the UN when people complain, but they're not willing to do anything, put any skin in the game, but they complain and they have these resolutions that really don't go anywhere. Uh, so if we, if we take a look at this, just to go with the there's so much in my head. I have to put everything in the right boxes. There's so much that I've, I've studied for this. But, you know, you have your uh, Arabian Peninsula. A few years ago, there was a peace deal that they made with Israel, right? I talked about the difference between Sunni and Shia, the breakdown. Uh, so you sort of have this Sunni crescent, which has informal authority on the Sunni world. And then you have this uh, crescent up top, which what I would call the Shia crescent. You're looking at Iran, you're looking at their influence in Iraq, over here, Syria, they're already there, and uh, Hezbollah, Lebanon. So you see this counterbalance. Um, The belligerents, as we spoke about the last time, were 
This is sort of an outlier. I come to this last. And again, you, if you just go into the read your overseas news, you'll find all these things to be true. Right? So you have your, your Russian force up here, especially with Putin. Putin's not going to see something go down and possibly other people are going to get something where he's not going to jump in. And we have to know all the players here. As a matter of fact, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, has just been very alarmed about Russia's amassing on the Ukraine border. Okay, so they're, what's Putin going to do? What is his, his, his desire? So in this prophecy, they're going south. Turkey's involved. Iran is involved. When I talked about the pullout of Afghanistan, I didn't say that we, we shouldn't decide to pull out, but we should have made a better decision how to pull out, which makes all the difference in the world. The way we did it left a power vacuum. So here's Afghanistan, here's Iran, here's China, Russia's up here. These three players are part of the Asian Cooperative Dialogue that has only been in existence for 20 years. Again, Ezekiel wrote this 2,600 years ago. So you have a lot going on. I know it's a lot of information. You can always, oh, so here's the outliers. Uh, we talked about the Ethiopian civil war that's taken place, Libya, that's fighting off uh, some of the insurgents. When the wrong people get into these governments, as we've seen in many other times, especially Libya, you have, uh, unfortunately, state-run radicalism. Now, the, you know, if everybody remembers, it was only 10 years ago, but, but Benghazi is in Libya. They attacked our embassy, the, the good people of Libya. There's nothing they could do because these elements are very powerful. So, and one thing I just want to stress before we, we can put up the six parts for today's message is that when we talk about Russia, we talk about China, we talk about Iran, um, I know people from the Middle East, the Far East. I've met people from all over the world. They're wonderful people. Um, I'll get to Ennis Cantor, who's a basketball player for the, I believe, the Celtics, young Muslim man who just became a U.S. citizen, loves this country, right? There's good people in those, those belligerent nations, but it's the leaders who are going to, unfortunately, foist this on their own people, right? So if you look at the six parts, um, we're going to get into that, and we're going to read it, jump in, and then see what... We can do. And there's going to be a test afterwards, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. Ezekiel 39. <laughs> All right. He says, And you, son of man, God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. Prophesy against Gog. I have to enunciate. There's God with a D and Gog with a G. Gog is the wicked leader. Of course, God is our God. So I have to make sure I enunciate. And say, thus says the Lord God, speaking, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the chief prince or the of, of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bring you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then, And we talked about Pharaoh. We talked about um, the lying spirit of Ahab. We spoke about how God does not want people to do evil things, but sometimes he lets them because he's given us free will, and usually, well, almost always, or always, the result is tragic. 
He says, I'll knock the bow out of your left hand, cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the people who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. They shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name any more. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming. It shall be done, says the Lord. This is the day which I have spoken. See, we look at 2,600 years ago. Boy, that's ancient. That's who remembers, you know, even the history books. Some of them don't go back that far. God is eternal. He's outside of time. And then sometimes we ask this question, why would he leave this dormant for 2,600 years? My answer is that a lot of these prophecies have to do with really what happened in 1948 when the Jews came back uh, with the sanction of the United Nations and uh, they were able to get their homeland back. And then you see sort of the floodgates open in that time period. And a lot of these prophecies went dormant until these things actually happened. Verse 9. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any forest because they're going to make fires with the weapons. They will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillage them, says the Lord God. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea and it will obstruct travelers because there will they will bury Gog and all his multitude therefore they will call the valley of Hamangog now remember when you look at the uh, prophecy he God says that one-sixth of this entire invading force only one-sixth will live and they'll be left to tell the story five-sixths will fall on the battlefield and there's going to be this big place where you have to bury the bodies. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying them, and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed or professionals with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. A search party will pass through the land, and whenever anyone sees a man's bone, he'll set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried in the Valley of Hamangog. Interesting, so much is dedicated to the burial process. I'm going to get back to that. Remember, this is an ancient prophecy of a future modern battle. Verse 16, the name of the city will also be called Hamona, which literally means multitude. Thus they shall cleanse the land. And for you, son of man, God speaking to the prophet, thus says the Lord, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood that you shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth. 
of rams and lambs, goats and bulls of them, the fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till you are full, drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. Now you know why a lot of churches don't read the, the Old Testament anymore. This is, this is cerebral. It's, you know, we're looking at judgment, but I would just say this. The, uh, Hitler's sixth army was a brutal, savage army. And when they went into Russia, the Lord allowed through their, I believe, through their pride to be, to have the Russians do the pincer movement and it crushed the sixth army. So no longer were they going to go and burn villages and, and do all these things. And for the people at that time, they would be like, thank God it's over. So we look at this and, and in our culture, we can be triggered by things that sound scary, but you have to look at this in context. 21, last few verses. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed in my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they all fell by the sword. This is more of these ancient battles. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness, in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. This keeps coming up. We'll get to that. Who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their own land and left none of them captive any longer. You can see a reference to 1948. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I, have sh I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel says the Lord God. So the first point is the aftermath of this short but epic battle. Verses one and two, he says, God is against you, O Gog, the leader of this insane, uh, insane you know, battle. Now, remember, when we look in scripture, we find, and this is the beauty of reading the entire Bible, right? Isaiah 14 tells us that the king of Babylon was a wicked man and he became, you could say, demonically possessed by Satan. When we look at Ezekiel 28, the prince of Tyre was also a wicked man and allowed himself to be possessed. The Antichrist is a man who is going to muster up this European theater in our future or in the Earth's future. He's a man, right? However, there's an expression that says absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you know what's funny? The person who said that, I was, I was doing a little research, he said, show me a man who's incredibly successful sort of in battle and war, and I'll show you an evil man. Um, I guess what he was trying to allude to in addition to the first quote was that when someone is that lifted up and they have control over that many people, uh, they can receive an influence of the demonic world and then eventually give them over, themselves over to this demon possession. 
So, listen, you look what's going on in our country, you see some of these horrific crimes. You know, I was in law enforcement for 20 years, and I, some of these shows of, like, these serial killers and school shooters and stuff, I just, you know, I, I have a curiosity, but I can't really watch it because I find it, to my core, very disturbing. And I'm a, I'm a pretty rough person, I think. You know, I've seen a lot in 25 years. Um, and I say, you know, there's got to be a demonic element to this. Nobody does this to other human beings just because they feel like doing it. So, you know, you never want to get to that point where you give yourself, because, and people will ask me, and it's, it's legitimate, well, what if I get possessed by a demonic influence um, and I can't help it? You, it doesn't happen that way. You have to give yourself over to that and seek that power at all costs, all right? So I don't want anybody to be afraid of that. Uh, verse 3, God says he's going to knock down the bows and arrows from the invaders. Now, remember, this was more of a colloquialism or a figure of speech. It didn't mean that they were actually using bows and arrows. We talked about the war machine last Sunday. We talked about how when it spoke about armor, and it spoke about the, uh, like the scales of a crocodile, um, the prickliness that, you know, we talked about modern armor and how if you look at modern tanks with, I think it's called energy reducing armor, ERA, how they, if you look at those tanks, they look like, it looks like crocodile armor. So again, Ezekiel is trying to explain something that's not happening in his world yet. But he's projecting it, obviously, to the future. It's pretty fascinating. Verse 4, he said you, that the, this invading army will fall upon the mountains of Israel and be given to the birds of prey, which is a dishonorable way to die, obviously. What do prideful invaders look for at the end? They look to have victory. They look to go home. Look at history in any, any battle. And they look for a parade. They want everybody to throw ticker tapes at them, and this is the person that beat off the enemies. However, in this situation, they're not even going to make it home, right? They're going to end up falling on the mountains. Verse 6, God sends fire on Magog and the coastlands, right? And this gives us a, a clue to that we're not in, in our age right now as we speak. Right? right now, we're in the age of grace since Christ. We're in the church age. But there is going to be a switch that's going to happen, which the Bible tells us. We're going to move from the dispensation of the church age back to what you would see in the Old Testament, the law, the revelation judgments, right? Look a lot like, even though it's in the New Testament, what happened with Elijah and the things that happened in the Old Testament, right? And I'm going to get to that eschatological sequence. So God is, is very active. God the Father, I believe, is very active on the earth as he was in the Old Testament. Again, we're in 2021. So we have to wrap our minds around the fact that we're reading the Old Testament, but we're also reading the Old Testament who's telling us that after the church age, things are going to go back to a similar uh, situations like in the days of the prophets where they saw wild things happen, right? So judgment is coming on the earth and um, it's not politically correct, but that's not going to stop it from coming. So the second point, why can this happen any day? Well, the belligerents are in Syria as we speak. Now, I look a lot to overseas news. Pastor Vinny is a great reference point for me because he uh, has a, a, a love for Israel that I think is more uh, uncommon 
that we see today, even in the church. So Pastor Vinny's always looking to see what's going on at the Golan Heights. You know, you have Israel, you have the Golan Heights, and then you have Syria to, would be to the east, okay? And I don't know if you know this, the Jerusalem Post has uh, recorded it, uh, even some newspapers in, in our country, is that there has been this back and forth with rockets being fired into Israel from Syria. Now, you know who's in Syria? Syrians, also Iranians, and Russians. That's scary. When Russia moved into Syria, see, I, I feel like I have to follow geopolitics. When Russia moved into Syria, when Netanyahu was in, in power at the time, they had a, he had a meeting with Putin. He was visibly nervous because the Russians were that close to Israel. And he, of course, cares about his country. He, he was wondering, like, what's going to happen to us in Israel? The Russians are pretty powerful. Um, there was just an explosion in Natanz which is in Iran, which is right next to their nuclear facility. Like usual, the Iranians go, oh, it was nothing, nothing to see here. Great flash in the sky, shaking the foundations, felt like an earthquake. We know that, that Israel, Mossad, has sabotaged their nuclear ambitions because Iranian says, Iran says, when we get the nuke, we are going to blow Israel off the face of the earth. So there's this, yin, this back and forth between Israel and Iran. Anything I, I say that you can vet, look up what I say, you'll find everything that I say is true. But, you know, what are we looking at today in American media? Just cultural stuff. We, we don't get really the important information. Uh, so, you know, Forbes, and I'm, I just read all these different articles. Some of them are left-leaning, some of them are right-leaning. Forbes recently said, if you think that the Afghanistan pullout was a blunder, wait till you see the results of the Iranian nuke deal. So there is word on the street that they, the fissile material has been refined to the point, their missiles have been refined, that they actually have the capability of shooting a missile over into Israel. Do you think Israel is going to put up with that? Probably not. So when we talk about this battle, which could happen any time, literally, it could happen any time. Verse 7. He says, I will not, God says, I will not let them profane my holy name. Right? And they will know that I am God. And strangely enough, and I try to put myself in the shoes of, of people overseas. I, again, we, I talked about the Iranian girl that we took in for a year and sheltered her. Um, we had missionaries that were in Afghanistan. They would have to bury their Bibles when the secret police would come. I love talking to missionaries because you get a, a, a vantage point that you don't get here in the States. But people in those countries, again, for us, you know, in our very soft culture, we hear about judgment, we read about it, uh, our friends are totally put off by it, but if you talk to Iranians, they don't like their leadership. They don't like the, the, the oppression of women. In Afghanistan, it's going backwards for, for women. Um, when you look at um, North Korea and China, the, the church is, gets baptized in these freezing ponds because, you know, you either are part of the state communist church, which teaches nothing, or you actually go to the real church and suffer. So these people, while, while Americans are like aghast when we read this, the people who live there are saying, I wish the Lord would come and judge these leaders because they're so oppressive to us. 
So, you know, when you read the Bible, you, you have to look at, we can't stay in the American bubble. We have to look outside of this. It's pretty powerful stuff. Uh, verses 9 and 10, they will burn fuel for seven years. Now, if you study logistics, yes, when an army invades, there is an incredible operation of potable water and supplies, uh, you know, gas, oil, all that kind of stuff has to go ammunition with the troops. However, they're going to be burning the, the weapons, which is very odd, for seven years. Well, I can see gas and oil, but how could you burn any fuel to support a country for seven years unless it's fissile material? Right. So it is conceivable that Gog is bringing fissile material, certain type of missiles. And when, you know, God, God ends up turning them back before they unleash their fury on Israel. So we, we it's very possible we're talking about fissile material. Uh, verses 11 through 16, it speaks about the burials for the slain oppressive soldiers. Um, it, it obstructs travelers. There's seven months of burial, men of regular employment, which means professionals, this is what they do for a living, are hired to do this burial and find these bodies. If anyone sees a bone, they set up a marker, but they don't touch it. Again, could this be radiation? And I'm not going to read um, nuclear material. And, you know, when I, w- I was listening to some teachings in the 80s and, you know, during the Cold War and everything was, uh, you know, when God's judgments rained down. Oh, that must have been a nuclear bomb. Why does God need a nuclear bomb? He could just rain down fire. He's done it before. So I don't read. That's called bad Bible uh, exegesis. You're, re- you're eisegeting. You're putting the culture, which I don't like to do, into the scripture. But there are some keys that tell us this is highly unusual. It's highly unusual. Uh, now, radiation poisoning causes death, cancer, sickness, and autophagy, which means that you have to have certain type of professional people to come in and remediate this type of situation. All right? Hammond Gog just means multitude of Gog. There's so many of the troops that the place was called Hammond Gog. Very simple. Just a translation of the Hebrew. In verses 17 through 20, the birds and the beasts feast on the carcasses of the dead. This has happened in many wars. It happened in World War II. You know, um, so many on death on the battlefield is, is just such a, a, a war of attrition that, you know, they can't give everybody a burial and the animals think it's supper time. You know what I'm saying? This is what they do. Fun fact, there's 446 species of meat-eating birds worldwide. Did you know that? Right? That's not to mention the four-legged meat eaters. <laughs> so it, it's sort of like even today, right? You, when you look at uh, termites, when you look at uh, certain fungi, when you look at um, sharks, when you look at bottom feeders on the ocean, the birds, the jackals, it, it's, it's really part of the ecosystem. It's the, a way to break everything down and start the cycle all over again. Which, if you're not a believer in Christ, you think, well, that's just the way it is. Men and women have lived and died since the beginning. 
But God does something different. He takes the, the materials of the ground, puts them together. So, you know, if you take a, a piece of our skin and you, you go down to the cellular level, you go down to uh, the level deeper than that, you find that there's elements on the periodic table that are all, all throughout our bodies. You know what the difference is for people is that God took Adam and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and he breathed the spirit into the stuff he made from the earth. So there is an ecosystem, but there's also God interjecting the spiritual realm into the physical ecosystem. And that's how we know, right? What do we go when we die? I can't just be materials. I can't just be compounds and elements and carbon and sulfur and, and oxygen. I'm not. God has put a spirit into me. So something to really consider. Every life is precious. God wants people to, to come to him. Unfortunately, in this earth, the more the culture pushes away the Prince of Peace, the more things like this are going to happen. You know, God respects himself. He will do, he will uh, perform miracles. He will restore, relate. He will do so many things, but he's not going to beg us to follow him. And unfortunately, when we look at this time, it's a world that's grown very cold. And I'm going to actually read that whole section in the Christmas Eve message and then give the, the positive news afterwards. So let me just, uh, all right, this is where it gets, um, this is where it gets a little, like I know it, it's in my head, but I, I have to get, get it out. So when you look at, when you look at um, sort of linear time and for you it's it's left to right so I'm, I'm on your left right now you know you have the old testament you had the law you had moses you had all that stuff you had daniel speaking about the 69 weeks or the 69 shabua or seven year periods uh until jesus came so uh, the clock started in the book of daniel and he gave uh, an exacting point when it would start in those years to the 69th week Jesus came. Jesus did something remarkable. He took us out of the dispensation of the law, of, um, you know, the, the old covenant, which in Jeremiah 31 prophesied the new covenant, and Jesus started that new covenant. So the 60, there's 70 weeks until really the end times. But the 69th week stopped when Jesus came into the world. So there was a pause. So now we're in the age of the church age. We're in the age of grace, right? So when that period runs out, and we don't know when it is, it's been going on for about 2,000 years now, the 70th week, the last seven-year period will kick in again. But the Lord will remove his saints, and they will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb, all these wonderful things that God has prepared for us. And those who have rebelled against God and rejected his way of salvation, that last seven-year period will start again. So that's why it gets a little confusing because we're in 2021, we're still in the age of grace, and we're talking about things that Revelation says in the Old Testament, but we don't really see it today. Because that specific time that the seven-year period starts again is something we haven't seen yet. And I don't believe we'll literally be on the ground floor watching it. I think we'll be watching it from the mezzanine. But that's just my personal opinion. 
A lot of what's said here also is post-1948. So when God speaks about a mass migration of Jewish people from these surrounding nations back into the land of Israel, probably in 1945, 1944, Bible scholars would say, could this ever happen? Israel is like the old ancient land is filled with different groups and undefined borders and there's so much back and forth. How could this be? In 1948, 1949, 1950, Bible scholars said, wow, this is a miracle. Because he speaks specifically of, you know, having sovereign borders, which Israel would, would, the borders would be destroyed by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and everybody else that came to town. But in 1948, something remarkable happened. In 1967, they regained biblical Jerusalem and had such an incredible military that they were, they were able to repel all the invasions that happened to them in the modern time in the 20th century. So I'm going to leave you with a little, uh, a little paradox, and then I'm going to jump into the third point. Is So when I became a Christian, I remember various presidents, right? I remember Clinton, Bush, uh, Obama, you know, Trump, now we're in Biden. And every American president, I don't know if they realized it, did stuff in the Middle East that sort of tweaked things and you read the Bible and you go, did they realize that they were doing that? We are very, we're a very powerful country. And I believe God will hold the leaders to account when they die and, and stand before him because they, they really affected a lot of things. The invasion of Babylon, Iraq, the, uh, the increasing of Iran of, or Persia. Uh, so, so here's a little conundrum. I never want to support the bad guys, right? what Bible, God says in the Bible. I wouldn't want to support the Assyrians. They were bloodthirsty. They were brutal. Um, however, what's, what's interesting is that when some leaders do support the bad actors, and they, it's almost like an accelerant or a catalyst to bring these things to pass, uh, what happens, what that means is that the Lord's coming sooner. So here's the conundrum. <laughs> we as people of faith do not want to support evil. However, when the world supports the evil, it moves us closer to when Jesus comes. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's a little mind bender, but we don't support evil. All right. Third point is why is this not the battle of Armageddon? I'll give you a few points with this is that the belligerents and the leaders are different in both battles. In the battle of Armageddon, we're looking at mostly a Western Europe coalition as opposed to Eastern Europe with far Asia, they crossed the Euphrates here. We're looking at local regions that are literally due north of Israel, except for the, um, to, to the two regions in Africa, Ethiopia and Libya that get involved. Uh, also, after the Battle of Armageddon, Jesus immediately institutes this beautiful millennial kingdom, this thousand-year reign. Again, these, this is all the future, uh, where everything is pristine. But here we're reading about after the battle, Death, corpses, radioactivity, clean up, seven years. Sort of ruins Jesus' inauguration for this millennial kingdom, doesn't it? So I don't see this. Some people say, well, this is the Battle of Armageddon. I don't see it. See, the Battle of Armageddon, Jesus is the main protagonist with the saints in tow. But here, it seems like God the Father is doing things directly without any messianic references. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Messiah was referenced many, many times. We don't see any messianic references in 38 and 39D. Why would you need to burn weapons for seven years here if God has already destroyed everything with a fire in the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation 20, verse 8? And 
Here, God destroys the invaders. He causes infighting, cataclysmic offense. But in the Battle of Armageddon, Jesus destroys the belligerents directly. Uh, the Antichrist also, last one, is the only personal belligerent mentioned in the Battle of Armageddon, heading this European confederation, while here the leaders are from the northern armies. Interestingly enough, that the five-sixth defeat, if we could put up the map one more time, when God says that five-sixths, which is a huge amount of the army, is defeated and there's only one-sixth left, you're talking about a weakening of these countries. So if the Antichrist, and he's better known as, I would say, modern times, he's an aggressive globalist who's trying to uh, nullify the borders of Western Europe, especially the United States, break down the sovereignty so that he can cause a confederation of Western nations and he can be the fascist who runs it all. We're starting to see a breakdown in our sovereignty. We're starting to see a breakdown in Western Europe. It's kind of happened first, sort of happening over here. So when you look at if the Antichrist is, is sort of in this area trying to control these groups, if these guys get weakened, it sort of is a catalyst to the Antichrist rising in power. Make sense? Now, again, if I asked uh, 100 people who were atheists, have you ever heard of the Antichrist? Probably 95% of them would say absolutely. So, um, again, he's, it describes who he is. But understand that you see this forced globalism, the United States, certain type of treaties, forcing us into these aggressive globalist treaties where the United Nations or these globalist entities actually have more, how do I say this, their laws will supersede American laws, right? They'll reach over into our country and say what fuels we can burn, what weapons we can keep in our houses, this is already happening. So it, the formulation is taking place. You notice I'm not crying or I'm not sad because I'm going to give you the good news at the end. See, this stuff to me is not depressing. It's just factual. And for somebody who doesn't know the Lord, when they read this and hear this, they're like, how could the details are incredible, right? So we continue is for why would the Antichrist sit back and watch Gog march on Israel and do nothing about it? Remember, when that seven-year period starts, the Antichrist, who will actually make a treaty, we know this through Daniel and other scriptures, will make a, a peace treaty with Israel. We see peace treaties all the time, don't we? And they say, well, we'll promise not to do this if you promise not to do that. So this globalist makes a peace treaty with Israel and says to them, you can pretty much rebuild your temple. People say, oh, the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock is there, how could that... Go to templeinstitute.org and see that there are groups, millions of dollars are funneling into it. They've already replicated the candelabras, the lavers, the furniture, the artifacts that are going to be put in this third temple. It's not there yet, but it will be built. I covered Revelation, uh, I'm going to say 11, correct me if I'm wrong that it talks about the the third temple and the angel telling John he's measured it. He's measured the d dimensions. It's not there yet, but it will be built. So is it possible that the Antichrist watches this happen, protests, doesn't do much because as these powers get weakened, he gets stronger, right? If you're not a history buff, I'm sorry to bore you with all this history and war stuff, but 
the uh, if you follow Russian historians, I like to watch, listen to a lot of things. Uh, the Western historians, World War II, Russian historians paint a little bit of a different picture. Their concern was that the Allies took too long and dawdled before the invasion of France. Now, there is some chatter that says that the Russians, which is true, I think they lost 20 million in World War II, the most out of everybody, civilians and military, that the Western powers kind of knew there might be a world, a world, a cold war. So they allowed Hitler to just keep going east and weaken the Russian forces. And then they came as the heroes. Listen, I'm patriotic, but stuff happens in back rooms, okay? Here's another one, the Russo-Finnish War of 19, believe it was 40. The Russians invade Finland, and they get beat up pretty bad. They didn't realize how resilient the Finnish people were. They're weakened. So in 1941, when Hitler invades Russia, Operation Barbarossa, the Russians are caught back on their heels. That's why Hitler made so many gains, because they just took a a beating from the Russo-Finnish War. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that history repeats itself. And I would ask, I'll stay here as long as you want me to. You have questions, you're a history buff, let's talk. Because this stuff is, is, has all happened. 20th century is big. And it, it's, a, it's, it, it's a harbinger or an extrapolation point to what's going to happen in the future. This stuff isn't, this stuff is, it could happen tomorrow, right? Okay, five. Five. No, I think I covered that. Six. <laughs> so the S5, the eschatological chronological sequence, I kind of gave it to you with, you know, um, the things that are going to happen in the future, the temple, the, the covenant with the Antichrist. So I think that, I think that um, pretty soon, and I don't know when because I don't make false prophecies like some people do, is that at some point the Lord is going to call his saints home. Very close to that time is going to be this Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. Very close to that time, this person will emerge because the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the restrainer, needs to be removed first. We look at First, Second Thessalonians, and then this Antichrist will be revealed. This person will be revealed. Things are going to happen very quickly. If you actually look at uh, modern construction, I used to build houses long ago. Modern construction with modulars and such, the temple literally could be built in a few months. A few months. I mean, if you look at the dimensions of the temple, right, in the scripture, it's a box with a box inside of a box. You know, there's not much to it. Ornate, yes, but it could be built in in a few months. So then you have Isaiah 17, the Damascus strike. Damascus is in Syria. That Damascus strike, could it be Israel? Could it be supernatural? Not really sure. But when that happens, that's going to shake things up with the belligerents over the Golan Heights border. All right? Um, again, see me if you have any questions. I would be more than happy even to draw out a, ta- a timeline for you. Because it's, it's pretty orderly how these things are going to take place. After this last seven-year period, the Lord returns. Why should we find it outlandish? We shouldn't as Christians. Because Jesus said, while instituting communion, while sitting with his disciples, I'm coming back. No secret. Some churches don't teach that stuff. Why don't they? Jesus said, I'm going to return again. He even said during communion, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again 
until I return again in my father's kingdom. So why would we? And that's the problem in the church. In some churches, they don't teach the Bible at all. So Christians don't really know what Jesus' promises or even what his teachings were. Six out of six. And this is what I'll leave you with. What does God want us to know? I'll go back to verse eight. He says, surely it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Every single word in every single prophecy has come to pass or will come to pass. Prophecy, the Holy Bible is the only book, the only book. I challenge you to find me any other book that speaks prophecies that actually happen. I've read a lot of, you know, on my quest for, for finding the truth, I bought a lot of holy books from a lot of different groups. I've read them. There's, there's some prophecies that were supposed to take place during the Civil War that were in, in certain people's lifetimes that absolutely did not happen. And God says, I get it 100% right. So you have to take that book and you have to discard it and not follow those teachers. The Bible is the only holy book where prophecy has come to pass 100% and there's a few left that will come to pass because we see the telegraphs in the world that we live in today. Ten years ago, I couldn't have taught this in in these chapters. Now, it's easy, right? So prophecy is one of the reasons God, one of the ways God proves to an to his um, wayward believers, backsliding believers, atheists. He proves that he is who he says he is through prophecy. And for those that do believe in him and do, do love him, to hang on, to have hope because he is returning. So going back to my, my demeanor is we're not to live in fear, right? This is proof of God's existence. If anything, this reassures our faith. It reassures our faith. And I believe we're not going to be here for that anyway. That's my personal opinion. I could be wrong. Strangely, as I said before, some in the church love this corrupt world so much that they close their hearts to God's prophecies and even find it strange. However, in Luke, this, when I read this the first time as a new believer, I was puzzled. Why would Jesus say that? In Luke 18, 8b, Jesus says about himself, when the son of man comes, when he returns, Will he really find faith in the earth? I became a Christian 26, 27 years ago. And I'm like, you know, listen, this was cool. Jesus is everywhere in the United States. You know, look at all these churches, the Bible. You know, we, we send missionaries out. How could Jesus say that? Because I'm starting to see the culture in our country becoming very cold. As a matter of fact, in Europe, what usually happens is Europe kind of starts it and then we end up finishing it in a lot of respects. A lot of churches in Europe, and I'm talking thousands of them, have completely closed. Muslim groups have bought them up. Banks have bought them. They, they take the cross off and, and turn it into a, another building. In, in America, we're starting to see a post-Christian reality. Also, we're seeing a, a, very, a shallowness in the faith, sadly enough, which you're, you're not really finding hope. Go on the internet, look up any of these, some of these teachers, they're, they're off the wall, they're bizarre, right? So we have to investigate the claims of God through his word, because when he does come, he's given us ample warning, and there'll be no excuse, right? So if you don't know Jesus today, 
don't leave this building until you get your questions asked. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop you from leaving. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's good. It's an important thing, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And that son died for Americans, he died for Russians, he died for Chinese, he died for Iranians, he died for atheists, he died for everybody. He's the thing, you know, that, how do I say this? You go to any church across the globe, they look different from us, they have different culture, different languages. But when we read Revelation, it talks about the multitudes of different tribes, languages, and tongues all sitting together under one umbrella. Isn't that amazing? Diversity in the church is beautiful. It's healthy. And that will be the same way in heaven. But you know what? I don't really think we're going to have looking at each other and, and see really any differences. But what John is trying to tell us is that, is that Jesus Christ unites everyone, no matter what your background, no matter what you're bent, no matter what you're struggling with. We just, I just pray that if there's anybody here, we consider these claims before we leave. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.